Matthew 19, from God always Jesus coming to him. So come to me then. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to Reach me and do not Jesus. hinder them, for the what, kingdom what is of heaven that, uh, you belongs to such as these. He when says, he I have given hands on them. He, he went says on that there is there. nothing in your life that is wrong in your opinion. And it's an interesting little passage. It's a passage that um, your priorities that I am accusing can you be of. overlooked or can be I might sentimentalized show you that they're getting in the way. But Jesus said he doesn't do anything and then I must that God the Father to me. doesn't do. But wherever so I am, he does with you and you are with me. speaking to him. I'm just inviting you to let me lead you deeper. And when we're talking about baptism, be afraid. And I want to really talk about because the I meaning of you. baptism today. I um, adore you. You are my cherished child. You we live in a favorite. culture and a time where it's really easy for us to and I've come that you might to believe that we have to get our act together. And I want to see you God alive. can work. You don't have and to we have to have our act to together. We have to translated have baptism, for instance, into something that we have Jesus to go through major courses for from the cross. Um, and everyone and who comes become to almost him, a graduation ceremony. And uh, Christendom has been has been the Christian Church has been divided over baptism for the last 400 years, because what human beings do with the grace of Jesus God is either to misuse it or to, to pull back control and make conditions where Jesus has actually opened it up and said, you tell him, come, whether you can or you can't. He says, I'll and I think it, uh, it grieves God's heart very much that there he is, is so much don't. division over so things well, like baptism. Um, God first loved us. It was his idea. And we, we read in John, God so loved the world that he gave his son that all who wanted to could come. And I think when Jesus said, let the little children come to me, he said, you're never too young for me to lay hands on you, for me to to begin to impart my spirit. And that's why I have no apology at all. In fact, I'm quite passionate about it in, in, in baptizing children and infants and baptizing adults. Because I think in the baptism of children, it's the initiative of God, the love of God that reaches out first and says, come to me. And I, I, I believe you can do the studies and, and you will see that out of the Jewish culture, it was all tribal. It was all community. It was all family. There was no way a father would come into a faith and leave his family behind or his children behind till the age of consent. As the father, as the one responsible... I'm choosing for my child to, to follow Jesus and I'm going to actually baptize him into the faith of Christianity because it's my belief and I'm responsible for him. And I'm going to say to him, son, if you want to walk away from it, you can walk away. But as long as I'm your father, I'm going to nurture you in the love of Jesus. Because I'm not waiting for you to work out when you're old enough, who your parents are going to be or what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or what school you're going to go. So why should I wait for your spiritual inheritance? And I think we've been led into a lie um, that is devastating, actually, I think, in all kinds of ways. Um, God is gracious and God is mystery and God is kind and he's much, much bigger than we are. And Paul, you know, grappled with that because Paul 
was a man who didn't just sort of emote. He couldn't. He had to deal with his his brain. He had to deal with his mind. And uh, he's, as we know, his mind was, was, was full of dust on the Damascus Road when he encountered God who said to him, who are you persecuting when Paul was persecuting the church? We heard a bit about that on Tuesday night. But when Paul writes his letters, he's continually reflecting on when his brain hit the wall and he had to start all over again and say, God is not like, like what I thought. And so Paul had a very good understanding of grace because if God had dealt with Paul like he had behaved, he would have been dead. And grace is about knowing I should be dead, but I'm alive. And I'm speaking to two groups today. There's one group who uh, are excited about Jesus. They know that their lives are, are lost without him. And they are discovering that Jesus is alive. And they're amazed by what they're discovering and excited. And there's another group that's known that for a long time. And the excitement isn't there anymore. It's kind of got lukewarm or it's got degenerated down into giving some money and going to church. But the life and the fire isn't there. It's dimmed. I'm not speaking accusingly. It happens. And God wants to waken that fire. Because it's when our lives are on fire that we infect others. It's when our lives are on fire that we say, Jesus, you can do anything with me. And where we get stuck is we we start with grace and then we end in works and then we get back into legalism and before long the fire that started has been quenched by the lies that begin to infiltrate. And that all revolves around our understanding of what happens in baptism, I think. In baptism, Paul talks about it and and really the part that I'm taking out is Romans 6. Oh, Bev, thank you for this. I can read. I cannot understand why half of Christianity says you've got to read the Scriptures, buy the Bible, read it, and then they print it so small that you need, you, you need a miracle to actually even read it. It seems a very unfriendly, silly thing to me. Amen. Thank you. So in, in, in Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking about baptism um, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God in Christ Jesus is what I want to talk about. Alive to God. If you want to deal with sin in your life, turn your back and get alive to Jesus. 
it's much easier in when you're alive to Jesus to deal with what is still trying to hold you than it is looking at it in the face and resisting it all the time. Let's uh, go back to what baptism is. You remember... Um, Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam was God's creation. God created him out of dust and said, This is my creation, and him, you know, I'm well pleased in this. And he creates Adam and he walks with Adam in the garden. And then he says, You know, Adam, this is the proof text for people, and there are a lot of people who go, I don't need to be part of a church, it's just me and God. I don't have words to dispute that one that are strong enough because it's a lie from hell and I believe it as strongly as that because it's so easy on your own to get distorted it's hard enough in community and God said to Adam Adam it can't just be you and me you need company and so he creates Eve some people said he looked at Adam and said I could, try, I could do better so he created Eve but um, I don't think that's biblical either myself. But and in Adam and Eve, you have the full expression of God's personality's character, the male and female as one. And he says to them, and I'm telling you an old story, but that's okay. Old stories are good. He says to them, everything is yours. Everything. There's one tree in the middle here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. That's like putting a wet paint sign on a wall, right? See how many people touch it to see if it's true. And in the midst of the garden comes this one who is a fallen angel called Satan, the serpent. Now Satan was an angel who fell with a third of the angels and uh, rebelled against God. And one of the things God does unconditionally is when he gives things he never takes them back so he gave Satan all kinds of power as an angel and when he rebelled he never took it back so he has power Satan wanted to be like God he wanted the power he wanted the independence he wanted the authority and there's a mystery in all of this so the stories are always never complete and they're full of gaps but Satan fell and so he, he's not equal to God Satan is here, God is up here. But if you can't deal with the big guy, you, bully, you, you go for the little things. You go for what you can deal with. So he goes after God's possessions, God's children, God's creation, because he knows God loves those kids. And he comes into the garden because he has access everywhere. And, and God has said to Adam and Eve, you have, I give you authority over this. This is yours. The earth is yours to enjoy. Don't eat of that one tree. And I have to give you something that you can obey or disobey me over so that you have a free will, which is part of who I am. I have free will, and I want you to be made in my image. So he, create, so he gives them that one rule. Satan comes in, and he's bitter and twisted because he's already fallen. And he doesn't say things... He, he's not that smart. He's cunning, but he's not original. Satan has no creativity. All he can do is 
energize what's already created. He, he works by bluff and he works by accusation. He's very easy to actually um, discern. When he's working, when he's talking to you, he's always accusing you. He's always denying anything that God has said positively about you. So he comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and he says, God didn't really say that. You're not going to really die. He's scared that you're going to be like him. So he's threatened by you. Why not try it? And by the way, he said you're going to die. He didn't mean that either. And eventually Adam and Eve, and I don't actually believe that it's Eve who sinned. I think Adam was chicken and didn't do what he should have done either. So they're both equally guilty. They ate of the fruit. And when they ate of the fruit, it doesn't matter what the fruit is, they experienced something they never experienced before. They experienced guilt. They experienced the knowledge of good and evil. But with the knowledge of good and evil came an automatic separation. Innocently, perhaps, they had taken of the fruit, they had eaten of the fruit, like many of us. There are lots of you here who have grappled with addictions, and you would all tell us, no doubt, I never meant to get there. It started here, it started as a game, it started innocently, and then I became a prisoner. That's how evil works. Evil masquerades as light, as truth, as attractive. Whatever you want, evil will be. And so these two had eaten of the fruit and they found themselves automatically inside them something rose up that was called guilt. They didn't know what it was and a conscience which they hadn't ever activated before. And when God walked in the garden for the first time in their lives, they hid. And the first question in the Bible is God saying, where are you? Of course, God knows. But you hang around God long enough, you know he asks questions because he wants you to know that he knows. And he wants you to know that you know. God is actually quite specific. We, we live in a culture again of vagueness. He's really specific. Who do you say I am? What are you doing? Where are you going? And so he says, where are you? And they whimper from a bush, let's imagine that, and say, well, we're here. Uh, and, and Eve said, no, he, ma he made me sin. And somebody, they blamed everything around them. And God had to say, you can't stay here any longer. This is a pollution-free zone. There is no infection allowed. If actually you come into my presence right now, you will die. Not because I don't love you. I absolutely adore you. But my being is perfect. And by doing what you've just done, you've marred yourself. You're not perfect anymore. So you have to be separated from me in order for you to survive. Because it's like you just poured gas over, over, over yourself and I am light and fire. If you come into my presence, you will ignite. And you will go to hell which is total separation from me forever. So now we're in a predicament because God loves and adores the world. He loves and adores Adam and Eve. But there's a battle going on and Satan, by the, 
because they, they, they believed Satan, they just actually gave over authority to the whole world, to Satan. And he's, he said, now he's going to rule this place because he's been given authority by God's children. They didn't realize they were being tricked. So the whole world has come out under what the Bible calls the Prince of Darkness. And Adam and Eve are now separated. So God's justice means, he said, you have to die because you're guilty. But I love you. But I'm perfect. I can't go back on my word. I can't go back on what I've decreed. So, he says, I will give you the privilege of making animal sacrifices that a death will take place in your place. Blood will be shed. Instead of your blood, the animal will be shed. I want you to give me what is precious to you. I want you to give me something of value to you. And in those days, that was the animal's. Give me a perfect sacrifice and I will forgive you. And so the sacrificial system came into being, not because God loved to receive bloody carcasses, but because it was a way of saying my justice is met through the sacrifice and my love in terms of still working to draw you back to myself can continue. And so people began to, through the Old Testament, you have the sacrificial system where God accepted sacrifices and there was an ebb and flow of sincerity. And every, probably few weeks, people were saying, give, her, give him the old cat. Give him the old cow, we don't need it. And God would rise up and say, um, I don't want your old cow or your old cat. I don't want your leftovers. I don't need any of your animals. I'm giving you an opportunity to not be killed by saying Lord I know that I'm guilty before you I ask you to forgive me and I give you this offering as, as a token of my, my sorrow to you and so he says when your heart is in it I receive it but you know don't you that nothing that God ever gives is, is foolproof in other words he never he always looks at our hearts and so the sacrifice system came through history. But all the sacrifice system did was to cleanse human beings from the behaviors they had done. And then God sent his son. Because the people had the book, they had the law, they had uh, prophets speaking, and there was still this rebellion in the heart of human beings. And God was trying to say, I want to restore you to what Adam had with me, which is walking together in a garden in a father-child relationship. I'm not this legalist. I'm not this control freak. I'm not this ogre. And so he sent his son. And his son came into the world as a human being to talk to human beings about what is unbelievable. To reveal to human beings there was more to life talking to somebody this week and saying it's like you know you're a fish and you you think the whole world is wet and somebody comes in and says there's more out there than you realize and Jesus came into this world to say God I reveal God as father if you see me you've seen the father if you want to know what God's like watch me and he interacted with people for three years 
where every time he came across sin, or he came across sin certainly, but sickness or evil, wherever evil had damaged human beings, he, he got really angry and he started to turn it around. That's why he healed the sick. He said, in my kingdom there is power. Power to overcome darkness, power to overcome evil. Power to co- overcome what evil does to my creation. And so he demonstrated power by setting captives free. And then he finally was killed by the church because the church right through the centuries up until today doesn't like to be challenged. People love religion. Because if you, if, you if you can hold religion, religion is where I can sort of please God and do what I want. Religion means I can sort of work out what my parameters are, how I'm, going to, I'm, how I'm going to come to God, and we can all agree together. Then we can meet every Sunday and do our thing and then go home and do exactly what we want. And then call everybody else hypocrites because they're just like us. And God hates religion, passionately hates religion. Because he said, it's like giving me the old cat. It's giving me what you want, when you want, how you want, and it doesn't change your heart. And that's why he says, there are many who will call me Lord and they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there is a warning. There's an incredibly attractive side to God and then there's a hard edge that says, just just be careful. It's not a threat, it's just be careful. Because I am Lord and I am God. And we come into this, and so, so Jesus, as you know, he, he, he basically doesn't back down on his claim to be God, as plain, claim to be king, claim to rebuke the leadership of the church of the day, call them to account, and they kill him for it. And from Satan's perspective, we've just killed a threat. On the cross, Jesus is killed in history, in time. And then unbelievably, three days later, Jesus reappears. And it's the most revolutionary moment in human history where God rises up, still in human form in Jesus, and says, you can't kill me. So now what? I will not be killed. I am not yours to kill. I came on a rescue mission to draw, a pla- to draw you into a place where you could come alive again. And so Jesus in his resurrection poured out his spirit to empower people. I can't dwell on all of these things. But he basically said, any who would come to me, I will make them as if they had never sinned. I have died for the sins of the world. You see, Jesus was the second Adam. Adam really should have died, and he didn't because of God's love and grace. So Jesus did. He was a perfect sacrifice. And in the mystery of the perfect sacrifice, what that means is that God can change the human heart. He can change us from the inside out, not just behavior. Now there's huge mystery in what I'm talking about. But when what it means is that when Jesus rose from the dead and poured out his spirit. He said, I am releasing into the world the possibility of people to live like they have never lived before. People with the life of God inside them by my spirit. 
They will have a power and access to me that nobody else has ever had in history. And they will be people who can walk with me like Adam and Eve did and know my will and know my heart for them and and allow me to use them and allow me to pour out my spirit through them. And the access point into that kingdom in the world will be through, yes to Jesus, thank you that you've gone to the cross. And then the visible and tangible uh, practice is baptism. And baptism is when I say, Jesus, I'm here and I want to serve you. Thank you that you died in my place. Thank you that you have met me where I am in my sin, in my rebellion, in my whatever. I deserve nothing. Now, I mean, it would be cool if we could probably reenact this and we could all come to a place again where we are standing before Jesus and we know our guilt. And we spend 24 hours in a room waiting to be killed. And all the reasons are screened before us. And we just stand there alone. And all our stuff isn't there because it doesn't matter. And all our excuses and our attitudes come out. And it's not to, it's not to threaten or scare. It's just this is, this is, this is it. And to feel that, to feel it's not fair, I didn't do all of this, I didn't deserve all of this, and all those thoughts that we will have, in order to experience the relief, as Jesus walks into that room and says, I've taken it all for you. Now let's live a different way in company with one another. It's called grace. It's called forgiveness. It's called mercy. And for the rest of your life, you talk about the day that you met grace and it changed your life. You talk about the day when you knew what you deserved And he met you and told you that he loves you. And that all your behaviors and all your attitudes have been taken by him on a cross. And he died for you before you even knew he existed. He said, I anticipated this time. Now live in a life of grace, gratitude. You wouldn't need people You wouldn't need somebody to tell you how to go and share that with somebody. You'd be able to tell them. I was lost, now I'm found. I was guilty, now I'm clean. And for some of us, we've lost that. We've lost that sense of wonder. We've lost that sense of grace. It's really easy in the Christian church to get into a sense of pride and entitlement. And so if I was to ask you to come up here and share what is Jesus doing... You don't know what to say because it's dulled down so much. Or we're so busy and busyness is just the thief of the devil. And you go, you know, I've got nothing to say. Paul wrote his letters 20 years into his Christian life and he had lots to say. 
But he always came back to, if it wasn't for Jesus, I would be dead. And so he just said in another, in, in Galatians, said, when one, man, one man's sin, Adam's sin caused everybody to die and have us all in this predicament. One man died for us and released hope and joy. So when you come to baptism, you stand in the water and you go under the water, it's like dying. And I die with Jesus and then I rise up out of the water to new life. And you take a breath of air and it's receiving the Spirit. And God says, I want you to live like that. You, know, you need never be alone again. You need never live this life as if you're the only one. I am your Father. Jesus is your friend, your brother. The Holy Spirit is your comforter, your counselor, and will empower you. And I believe what God is calling this church to is passion. I'm still waiting for that moment where somebody's going to come here and say, you know, I'm not taking the money I was going to spend on my holiday this year, I'm not spending on this. I want somebody else to go. I'm waiting for that kind of depth to hit this place where we begin to say, Lord, you can have more of me so others might live because that's what Jesus calls us to it's got nothing to do with guilt or heaviness it's got to do with but how couldn't I I am so indebted and you know what when we start asking and be hungry like that that's when we'll be most alive and so Jesus through baptism comes into the promised land and this is where I'm finishing we come out of that water. You remember what Jesus says? I said this a few weeks ago when we go to funerals. I always read this out. I go to prepare a place for you, a mansion in heaven, and then I come back to take you to be with me. Some of us live like I'm still surviving. I'm in Egypt and now I'm a Christian. I'm in Egypt and I'm doing exactly what I used to do, but now Jesus is here. So I'm always forgiving, asking him to forgive me for what I'm doing. And I live in this constant guilt and tension, but I live in Egypt and I'm a Christian and I thank you for the cross. And I, I, I never get beyond that. And others of us are entering in the promised land saying, thank God that the cross is the entranceway into a new life. So I'm moving in and I'm, ta- I'm, I'm taking this new life with Jesus. I make mistakes and he says, that's okay, I'll forgive you quickly, but let's keep tracking. Because the Holy Spirit is now working in you, so he gives you guilt. You, 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 you know when you're sinning quickly and you learn how to start saying, forgive me quickly, and you, you learn how to live alive to God. And living a life to God is just building that relationship and community with others. And God's Spirit begins to work in power. And I totally lost track of where I was going with that. So, if there's a, I want to um, invite you to um, reflect on how awake you are today. To God, how alive are you? And this is not about accusation. Don't get me wrong. This is an invitation. I mean, if you don't know how empty you are, or how dry you are, or how desperate you are, you don't know how to say, "Please, I need you." All right, numbness is the thing that you want to kill, which is a total indifference. And even if you are numb, you can say, "Lord, I want to be not numb." So you can do something with that. 
But there's a point of personal interaction. And I want to show us this a quick video clip that just is a cry to the church to awake, to awake, to awake to God. And then uh, we'll pray together and ask Him to just release more of Him because there's lots of fun to have. There's lots of life. There's lots of power. Have you got that one? 